0: This is Unfiltered with James O'Brien, exclusively on Joe, brought to you by the London Block Exchange, the official home of cryptocurrencies.
1: Hello and welcome to the very latest episode of Unfiltered, to which I am looking forward um, enormously uh, because Matt Lucas is going to be our guest, who I have met once, but probably like you, I kind of feel like I know him even before I met him because Little Britain in particular, and, and George Dawes, and he's just in Doctor Who, he's in the public consciousness in a way that very, very few performers of, of his generation are. So I am I am very, very excited about this interview. Matt Lucas, welcome to Unfiltered. It's a Thank real, it's a real pleasure to have you here.
0: Actually. Thank you very much. It's very nice to uh, be here with you. We've met before, but I, have you interviewed me before? I have never
1: interviewed you before. Really? We, had, we had a lunch in quite strange circumstances, accompanied by the legend that is Curtis Stigas. Curtis one of those, Stigus, That's yeah. the showbiz dream, isn't yeah. it? And oddly. And Nick Revel. And Nick Revel, the brilliant comedian. When, yeah. when, and, and we got on quite well, I hope. I, hope, I, hope I we feel really we are. did. Yeah, I'd, good. I because feel. you were writing this, when we met and and you were quite um, you probably don't remember but you were quite immersed I think it it felt almost as if you were poking your head outside the sort of porthole of a submarine for the first time in a while and and it was clear that you were you'd come up with the idea of doing the 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 memoir as an A to Z
0: remind me why that was Um, I suppose just because I thought probably people won't be very interested in you know the details of my birth and so i thought well this way it'll give me a chance an a to z so so uh uh and it's and it's not strictly chronological although no. there is a kind of loose chronology to it but um you know b is for baldness g is for gay i just thought i just thought oh this allows me to sort of get to the point this way you know um
1: and also to avoid the slight grandiosity of writing an autobiography at such a young age you can kind of (laughs) you can kind of pretend it isn't
0: it's funny i don't think of myself as young anymore um well it's weird uh actually i think a lot of comedians write their autobiographies in their 30s now this is true and um i think i just about had enough to fill up a book and there was a lot of stuff that could have filled up a second book that i decided not to write why because i think you can't um you can't write everything. Uh, you've got to keep some stuff for yourself. And also, the the truth as I as I found out uh, uh, in releasing this book is that anything you write is under scrutiny. And um, there's some things that, that you can't really talk about because they affect other people. Maybe. Um, so you know, I write that my parents got divorced, but I don't write the strict details. You know of, of the it's divorce. Their story, well, not. it's their business. Yeah, it's not mine. I mean, it's part of my life, but it's it's you know then you know my family aren't really in the business Are you know?
1: comfortable talking about yourself did you did you find writing about yourself fun
0: um well it was weird because obviously uh it forced me to think about uh aspects of my life in maybe things i hadn't thought about for a while so i found it um in some ways quite hard i actually actually you know what i think I've, i think what is quite hard to talk about is your career because you know one can you can write about your life and you know uh things that have happened to you events that have happened to you with a sense of ownership but once you start talking about your career you are you know your words do impact on other people that you worked with who are still out there working and um so you know there is you're not selling it you realize that you say you're saying there's
1: no juicy stories about people that i've collaborated with and there's not a lot of personal stuff in it either (laughs)
0: That which neither of which are true. I mean, there's, there's yeah, that. but I think I think I think there is. I th- all right, this is so. This is what's happened, right? So, uh, so I'll give you I'll give you an example. So, um, uh, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you yes. don't, right? So, if you, if you write a book about yourself, so for instance, I just spent a year on Doctor Who, and I had a great experience, and I got along with everyone, and it, it was just it was supposed to be one episode, and it ended up being many, many, many more than that. Um, A whole series, and largely because the
1: character was so successful.
0: Yeah, what? Yeah, people seemed to to you know the character the character grew and developed thanks to the writing and and uh, and there was a a good chemistry on screen with the other Hmm. with the other actors and so yeah and so I was there right and there are uh, people on the show that over here they call runners in America they'd be called PAs and um, uh, 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 Lauren and uh, Rian and Chris and their job was to just often to just to knock on my trailer door and say uh, can I get you anything and I would say uh, oh can I have uh, 11 peanuts and a bottle of Dettol please or can I have uh, one of those lawnmowers you can sit on (laughs) so I'd say something silly and they would laugh right and that would that would be that and then very occasionally they'd say can I get you something and I would say yes can I have a Kind of coke or a yeah. glass of water, you know. I was, I was relatively, I think you would say, I was relatively low maintenance. <laughs> and um, but the Daily Mail, in their in their in their review of the book, wrote a thing about how I'm kind of hated by the crew because I send them off to get. I think it's funny to send them off to get these pointless things which just for my own amusement and that i'm so that they kind of hate me and i thought well no i'm clear i'm clearly joking and i've told the story not not the
1: the (laughs) Exactly, exactly. i'm clearly joking
0: i'm still friends with all those people we still message each other like i still like no there was no this was done for we were just mucking about like there was there's clearly and it's very and it's very clear in the book that i was just like just being silly you know, and, uh, but they wrote a story about how, you know, how, how I was hated on the set and things like that. So I think, I think anything you write will be willfully misinterpreted when you write a book. So you have to just be really, really aware. Um, for instance, there is not a bad word about David Williams in this book. There's not a bad word about David Walliams. Um, I have no reason to say a bad word about him um but they still ran a story saying the battle of little britain mm. and they wrote i made a i think i make a joke in the book about um i make some kind of joke about how he's so, now sold so many children's books that i'm talking about flying in the book and about that he can have his own private jet with a river a pink private jet with a river to swim up and down it but it's like it's clearly a gag yes. but again the daily mail wrote something like oh uh, he's seething with jealousy. He's fueled with jealousy. It's like, no, I'm happy for my friend. Like, he's done really well. And like, and they wrote a thing about, uh, you know, because uh, David got an OBE, and like, supposedly I was, you know, snubbed or bitter or whatever. And it's like, well, no, I, no, I publicly congratulated him when it was, when the news came out. I congratulated him again publicly when. Uh, when he received it, I also wrote to him privately because, of course, and that you know we had a, a cordial interchange. Mm-hmm. So like, and so and so, it's a strange thing. So even when you write something positive, you're not you know you're in control of the book, but you're not really in control of um reaction. of of reaction, and you just have to accept that. Why? And but it does. I do think I do think in some ways there would be things you could talk about that you just basically you have to not talk about them not because um they're not true but i think some people chew you know for we we live in the clickbait age and so context is not really it's not really like sure it, it, given often you know cuz actually even if you have warm feelings for someone they'll write that you don't you know and it's and it's strange and i was sad for david when that story came out because i thought he's getting an obe today and that's his day and yet they've tried to make a story about something else. And I just thought, and he must, you know, it's just like, did well, you, that's his Did you his send day. him a message
1: or anything like that?
0: No, because he knows. Well, I, I wrote to him to say congratulations. Right. But, I mean, the, no, because he knows. He sure. knows. He's, he's been doing it still, as long, long as But it's still, cast a
1: shadow potentially over Well,
0: that. not massively, no. Not a massive shadow. But it's just an example of the fact that when you write a book, you have to be aware. Like, for instance, I do Q&As. To promote the book and I'm just very very aware that there are journalists in the audience at the Q&A's so any joke you make will be pounced on so these days being a comedian you are like a politician you have to watch absolutely everything you say even this conversation may be reported with me as, as me kind of whinging. Well, I'm not really whinging, I'm just kind of contextualising the experience of writing the book. The, the reality is the book is actually very candid, yes, I think. Is. But it is easier to write about your life than your career, I found, which I always thought would be the other way around. Yes. Because um, if I was to say, oh, I thought this show I did wasn't as good as that show I did or something, it would be reported as me I slamming something. And because, and because such hyperbole exists you know in, mm. in, in the way things are reported even in the broadsheets it just makes you have to be it, it brings about a kind of blandness and but the, but but the book itself the book itself <laughs> I think is very candid and very revealing um and
1: uh well it is and, and I feel and, it is you and know? yet
0: I, I, you know I was going to ask you as you were describing
1: that and as, as we'll come on that's far from the worst treatment you've received from the daily mail over the years, I was going to ask you why you let it get to you. But of course, that presumes that there's a choice involved. What, what are you talking about specifically? Just, just, just uh, it's, it, My dad was a newspaper journalist, I was a newspaper journalist, and the old phrase about it being tomorrow's
0: fish and chip paper.
1: It, it, it's a cliche because it has a certain resonance. And but I don't think that's it. true
0: anymore because I think things... I think... No, I don't think because of, because of online, if something happens... But if you know kind of, yeah. the truth and the people about whom you're talking
1: know the truth and the embellishment and the exaggeration is only really being done by the journalists it's, it's not a criticism it's a question but you could be a no. bit more relaxed about it uh,
0: perhaps it depends yeah. um i think there was there was a situation recently where there's a line in my book where i explain why i'm not going to go into detail about my relationship with my late partner uh and i explain you know if you read the book You understand why I do talk I do talk about bereavement in the book but I don't talk about a great deal about him about our relationship because I feel that there's a uh, an immorality in using his suffering to to sell my book I just think it's I'm not comfortable with it Mm. and I've never done I've never have done that Um, I went to an awards ceremony uh, to pick up an award the Attitude Awards and um, I, I said a few words from the stage just to thank them for the award and made a couple of gags um, and the Metro newspaper uh, took some lines that they, they, they reported it as uh, Matt's uh, award you know receives award tinged with sadness mm. because um, uh because his late partner wasn't alive, and what they did was they took some, they took some lines from the book and said, you know, and, and made out like I'd said those words about Kevin at the ceremony, and which the ceremony was nothing to do with. I see. With any of that. Yes. It was nothing to do with the book. It was nothing to do with anything. I was just receiving a comedian award, and um, uh, and I was offended by that because it looked like I was using. A moment on the red carpet to talk about my late partner to try and gain sympathy and kind of endorsement from the public to say feel sorry for me and you know appreciate my journey that I've come through this and now I'm receiving an award and it's not but it just didn't happen none of that actually happened I would not stand on a red carpet and say oh yeah I wish he was here because I don't I've never given I don't give interviews about him at all So I was I was I was upset by that because I think it looked like I was using his suffering to kind of uh, Seem more appealing and more deserving of success and I haven't done that and the book doesn't do that either The book acknowledges that we had a relationship and it talks about bereavement because it's something I live with and it's something people and many, many 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 people live with and work through uh, in their lives and I thought it would not be honest to not talk about that because it's been a, a, a big you know a big big part of my life for the past few years but I would not be so cheap and so crass as to give an interview where I talk about it and that offended me uh, uh, on his behalf. And because the impression given was that you had. Well done it's a it. false impression so it's a false impression there's do, a line do, in the book where I explain why I won't talk about him and they took that line and put it as if I'd given it as an interview and I hadn't. Um, and, t- then, and, and, and it and it went uncorrected. Of course. It remains uncorrected, it, it,
1: it, it, and the truth yeah. is halfway. The lie yeah. is halfway around the world before the truth has got its boots on. Yeah. Well, now I
0: realize, I realize, in the grand scheme of things, most people would read it and not even notice it. No, but it's you. Do you let me use. Yeah. I'm just going
1: to run a phrase by you, which j- just popped into my head while you were talking. You sound, you speak like a man who, who worries that you lose custody of your own character when the newspapers get hold of. These Where's sort that? Of, what you've? That's just popped into yeah. my head now. Listening to you, you One, you're almost describing. I am me. I I think deeply, uh, more deeply than perhaps people appreciate for someone who's achieved fame by being silly. You're you're a very deep thinker and you think deeply about about yourself and your relationship with people and with the world. And then these lazy journalists, of which I used to be one, I have to be honest, I was a tabloid journalist who forgot that famous people were human beings and moulded quotes to just get a bigger impact for the story. I wouldn't have done the stuff that you've just described. Everyone has certain standards. But you then have a portrayal of in public, that you don't recognise as being you, and and actually, although you're worried about sounding as if you're whinging, that's a, that's that's an incredibly bad thing to happen to someone. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the thing I'll say is there's a difference, right? So yeah. the story I'm describing in the Daily Mail, where they um uh, where they said but they deliberately misunderstand something to make yeah, you look like a bit of a bastard. Yeah. I didn't really care about that because sure. I knew the truth. So that did not haunt me. Yeah. Did not keep me up at night. I was just like, oh, well, yeah. And and. Anyone who reads the book would know that I was just joking, and yes. even some people who read the article would probably.
1: Most people are going to. Th- I'm sure he didn't send someone out for eleven smarties and a bottle of bleach. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like
0: it's clearly <laughs> like, you know, but whatever, whatever. Um, well, uh, Kevin Kevin's legacy. Yeah, is I different. think I think that's. I think that is a, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, mm. it's completely different. And I understand and that. And it's. I think it is a line that sh- you know shouldn't as a as a if you're a, if you're a decent human you wouldn't cross that line with somebody you'd respect unless you'd you've respect. forgotten that 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 people like you are humans and that
1: that's something common to modern fame isn't it is that 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 there's an ubiquity to it and uh, especially when when little britain was in its heyday you would have had one of the most recognizable faces in the country and that Hmm. brings with it a sense of ownership these people think they own you and the tabloids are sort of feeding
0: that and in some ways they do you know and i respect that which is why you know why i'm not going to sue over somebody saying that i do you know what I mean? Yes, Send, I do. Yeah, it's revol- You're like you have to choose your battles, you know. And but I just think there are certain lines you don't cross. And um, you know, it's 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 uh, it's. it's um, but it's it's it is part of the job. It's what happens, you know.
1: Are there any bits about being famous that you currently enjoy?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I do. I got <laughs> go on, to go, go, go to lunch with you <laughs> and I Curtis have done that anyway. and <laughs> Nick <laughs> um yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. So I live, I live most of the year in, in California where some people sort of know who I am. you are mm. like, oh, you're that bridesmaid's dude or something like that. Because I was in that film for a few minutes. And, <laughs> and some people know because of Doctor Who has a, has a kind of audience. And, and actually, Little Britain was quite big there. But it's a, different, it's a different type of fame. It's like, oh, yeah, you're that guy. Mm. And I'm rarely the most famous person in the room. Because even if you go to a diner, there's a chance... A big star will be in the corner, yes. just because it's where lots of people live, uh, who are in film and TV, and so, uh, music. So, Do you my, prefer the, that to London, then? Well, the the reality of my life is that I go about pretty much just living a quite a, a re- well, i say it's odd because you go. Well, I moved to LA for normality, which <laughs> is something that people, <laughs> pe- most people, would say. Well, that's not. But actually, I live a relatively hermetic existence, and I write, and I have uh, two dogs and um uh through choice is it entirely I done recently um are you quite well it was it was after after um you know i had that bereavement i just yes. i just I, I, I knew that i needed to 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 have something else in my life so so something new and something different uh so it just it made sense to me to go somewhere warm and somewhere private and peaceful and it works really well for me yeah it's just my it's just what i you know i i pulled back and that is you know some people some people like to be out every night and those things and i'm i'm, I'm happy not being but when i'm in london uh you know because i still i'm still a british citizen and when i'm here then i'm a much more sociable being and my friend a lot you know all my old friends are here my mm. family are here i tend to do a lot of filming here i'll often write there and film here so for me uh, the combination of the two is what works for me. I would, I couldn't just be live in the middle of nowhere, all the time, but I, but I, I, I wouldn't want to just be in London all the time. Do you get lonely? Uh, I'm very lucky. I have the best friends. I have lovely friends that I've known for years. Close friends that I was at school with, that I was at college with. My family live nearby, um, so. No, 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 not, not really. No, you, do you? Uh, do I know? I've got two kids and a
1: wife. Right? Exactly, I, you've got I too d- much going on. I dream
0: of the solitariness
1: that you enjoy. Well, a exactly, I look so forward I, to long
0: haul flights so yeah. I can have a bit of a rest. Right. Well, I get, I get. <laughs> you know, I don't really get lonely because I've got, I've got five or six really great friends in LA. Mm. Most of whom are British. Friends that I've known. Some, uh, you know, my friend Reese, uh, Reese and Lucy. I've known Reese for twenty five years, but he moved out to the US a few years after me so oh, it's like we have a history but we're yeah. also both over there and I've got other friends like that um, you know there was another guy two, two people who, who both work in the industry that I was at school with who both live out there that I see oh, a lot brilliant.
1: of yeah um, we talked about fame I, I did the the, intro, the early days of your career I was surprised by how you're not going to like this word but, but it was a relatively effortless rise Bob Mortimer seeing you uh, arranging for other people to see you and then shooting stars. That, well, what I couldn't pick up is whether or not you ever wanted to be famous or as opposed to just wanting to make a living doing having discovered how much you enjoyed making people laugh. They're two quite different things and yet in your line of work you can't really achieve one without having
0: to be the other. Uh, not so much in front of the camera no. Um, it, I think it's just ch- it's been different at different parts of my life. So oh. when I was, as talk about in the book, when I was six my hair fell out and so I got a lot of attention for that mm. the kid in the town with no hair um, and other kids would always point it out you know and and because kids say what they're thinking don't they They just say it mm. So they just go you got no hair or they laugh at you or they patronize you or they you know the, I was very objectified as a child and so and so I I really I accepted that I had attention but I really wanted it to be for something other than just how I looked I thought well this is even at a young age I thought well what's this this is just weird this is stupid (laughs) like what just because I've got no hair Um, that couldn't be my character that doesn't make sense Uh, didn't make sense to me so that kind of drove me on to sort of utilise this attention and make something more positive from it so I think if you'd asked me when I was 12, 13, 14 I'd say yeah I want to be famous but after that, I think, it no, I think it was, I want to be creative and I want the validation and the validation in your mind comes through fame, you know. Um, but oddly enough, I was doing the... Comedy circuit from the age of 18, and and, uh, uh, what and was I, that like? I mean, that was pretty it was, brutal, probably. it was brutal, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I chose to do it, yes. and it was brutal. But I mean, it was highs and lows, it was the lowest lows and the biggest. You did highs. open spots, I did open spots. So you turn up literally unknown, unheralded, yeah, and try out material on a room you knew nothing about. That's right. And and also, I did a strange, very strange act. Um, tell me what because was I well, I wasn't I didn't feel confident just being me because there's a kind of honesty to being a stand-up you know it was the idea of you'd stand there with a cigarette in one hand and a pint in the other and wearing a t-shirt and you would talk about yourself about your relationships about your political views you you'd you know the idea was it was kind of unfiltered and authentic um, and I just at 18 I wasn't out yet to my friends and family and um I, I i you know i was just full of angst sure. i was a teenager yes and but that makes it an even older thing to do to Yeah, so, so yeah <laughs> so what i did was i played this character called sir bernard chumley who was this uh you know old actor and and because i'd done a lot of youth theater as a kid i'd been in a west end play at the age of 14 and uh done national youth music theater national youth theater all these kind of voluntary things that you audition for um as a kid and and so I kind of knew that those kind of fruity older types that used to kind of hang around <laughs> young actors uh, like me. And so <laughs> and so I, I just felt comfortable in, in that skin. And um, I don't know that I was particularly funny, but I was different. Yes. And that seemed to be enough to kind of propel me. But the interesting thing was that uh, by the age of 21, I did. Uh, I was doing shooting stars, you know, uh, with Vic and Bob. And then, and then although that was obviously a bit of a life changer for me, it did kill my stand-up because audiences would see me and expect to see me dressed as a baby and doing a, a George Dawes routine, which I didn't really have. You know, because George Dorsey. So Dawes they were the tiny little vignettes for people not familiar yeah. with shooting stars. it yeah. was not a forty-five minute act. There. No, it wasn't a character. It was more like a persona. It was yes. like, look, I just dress like this and I just say anything. <laughs> and the stand-up act was a little bit more textured, and as it would be because you're, yeah, you're on stage for half an hour or whatever, yes. twenty minutes. And so, uh, and so, actually, what happened was then even even venues would bill me as george doors or or because they're trying to sell
1: tickets and you're recognizable by now
0: exactly and so and then i'd walk on as this other character and people would be yelling what are the scores george doors while i was doing this other thing and i I didn't really know what to do with (laughs) that
1: slightly irritating yeah yeah
0: and then i and and it just it just became a harder thing to do and i and i didn't really have a george doors act that i felt i could do or and i or, or particularly want to outside of that show like i love doing it in the show but So, ha- how did that
1: there. happen matt how did you go um and most of the questions i, I ask you today are answered in the book but obviously oh, right. we're here to do we're here to do to, to walk the tightrope between the two the sure. stuff that's on the page and that, that isn't just tell us how you moved from wh- wh- what did bob mortimer see that, that that brought george dawes to life when you were essentially uh, portraying a, a a sort of thespian roué from from the pages of central casting
0: um well, you'd have to ask him. He told me at the time that uh, I was the angriest man he'd ever seen. Um, were you? Uh, oh, no! Well, you don't know how many I, people he'd seen. But yeah, were you? Were I was very angry. angry. Yeah, I was angry. I was angry. I was. I was eighteen. Eighteen-year-olds are angry. Not all of them, you know. Well, I was, for and not of uh, them are high. i Yeah. Well, I'd, I. Uh, no, I was angry because I. I don't know. I. I felt like, uh, you know, like I had life hadn't given me a fair. Crack of the whip, you know. I felt oh, I lost my hair when I was six, and my parents had divorced, and my dad had been in prison, and mm. I just, I thought like, what's you know, what's this? What's and and this? you were very. And I hurt. was overweight and pale. You wouldn't know it to think. To no, actually, what a transformation! And, yeah. And and Los <laughs> yeah, that's Look what LA's done for me. And um, uh, you were also
1: very hurt by a, a trip that your schoolmates took that you were supposed to go on. Oh around, yeah, just around that age. It would yeah, be. I
0: was, I was, I was uh, unceremoniously kind of. um told uh well we were going to go away with you but we're not now that's really shitty yeah but uh as i write in the book that actually what happened was um you know i i I, what i don't say in the book i don't say that i was lovely no in the book i mean i may well have deserved that i don't know i think i think i think i probably didn't actually in Mm. in thinking about it but but um what actually happened was not going on this interrailing trip um uh Meant that I uh, went to the National Youth Theatre yeah. and met David Walliams when I was sixteen. So, so uh, you know, thanks to them, really, mm. is the way I can look at it. Um, but there so was I, a
1: lo- there was a lot to be angry about. Two years later, when you were you going to go to university? What was the plan? Drama school or
0: um, at I that was, point? Uh, I was going to yeah, I was going to un- to university, and then I took a year out to do stand up comedy. And then by the time I went to university, I'd already you know, Bob Mortimer spotted me after five weeks. Mm. I was eighteen, and said, "I want to, you know, help you get work. I want to do something with you." What did you. you think?
1: Did you trust him?
0: Yes. Well,
1: he's he's, he's an was eminently trustworthy character. But still, I mean, it is a—it's a remarkable. There was what? nothing
0: in it other than he just liked what I did. Obviously, but in fact, he was an incredibly. It's a magic one moment, isn't it? It was it's a magic one moment. He was incredibly supportive, and and aside from the the. Uh, he just happened to be at a gig that I was at. I'd been going for five weeks, and he was in the audience. And I was the biggest Vic and bob pa- fan on the planet, and my heart was beating, you know, knowing he was there. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, uh, and he was incredible. He took me under his wing, basically and was really supportive, and introduced me to powerful people. And I still had to go on stage and make people laugh, you know, when it came to it. And in some ways, expectations would have been higher on me. But the confidence it gave me, you know. The validation. The validation was insane. I mean, it's like being, you know, as I say in the book, it's like being, um, you know, being the biggest Paul McCartney and John Lennon fan, and then becoming their Ringo, quite literally, (laughs) because I was a drummer. But. it, it, it was a fairy tale it was an absolute fairy tale but I was living this double life because I was also working in a shop mm. for Chelsea Football Club and you can see I am an Arsenal fan
1: there's that, that, some of the funniest bits in not it with this yeah. sort of smuggled Arsenal fan into the and it was a was yeah. it a family connection that got you in there or uh, I, well
0: I was so I kind of grew up uh, very pretty observant uh, a Jewish and um, I was a youth leader at the synagogue one of the one of the you know a madrich As they're called and would help run the youth clubs and and uh, uh, I wasn't the youth leader but Mm. I would I would help out it's a kind of voluntary thing to do and um, one of the a couple of the kids their 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 mum and dad said I I put an advert in the synagogue magazine Emmet saying I would like to babysit just to earn some some money you know while I was doing my a-levels and um, and Clive Pollard who uh, owned owned the franchise for the Chelsea shop um, I would babysit his kids And then he uh, uh, was telling me that he had this this He'd taken over the franchise for the Chelsea shop And I was looking I'd said to my mum I'd like to do stand-up comedy in my year off I'd like to do that And my mum said Well that's fine But you're still going to have to bring some money into the house Because you know My mum had like two Sometimes three jobs so, uh, so I said to Clive Pollard Would you hire me at your for your shop and he said well you you're a little bit young and I said well you trust me with your kids that's so fair, fair you should trust me in your shop and he went actually yeah that's a good point point." <laughs> and so I was assistant manager of the club shop at Chelsea Football Club but I was a huge Arsenal fan and yeah I would wear my Arsenal top underneath and uh, and and then I would do my stand-up <laughs> comedy in the evenings and so I was very tired because I was working long hours in the shop and then traveling all over and I don't drive so i would be getting buses here trains there getting lifts here and 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 doing stand-ups. It was a bit of a double life. Cause I'd do this fantastic gig, you know, and everyone would be cheering. And then the next morning I'd be, you know, kind of loading these kits. Or I'd do a terrible gig. And the next morning I'd still be loading the kits, you know. Um and so so yeah, it was a strange, strange existence. But then by the time I got to university my head had already been turned and uh, 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 Avalon who were a big huge comedy management company still are and they looked after uh, Newman and Baddiel and they looked after Frank Skinner and Harry Hill and Leon Herring and Jenny Eclair and big big comedians they were talking to me about possibly managing me Uh, Which I didn't do in the end, but I did gigs that they promoted, Mm. Um, and big time, uh, yeah. And David's agent, ICM, which was a huge. You stayed friends with David after
1: you thirty. You stayed. Yeah, yeah. So
0: we'd stayed friends, and and yeah, because we'd met, and yeah, we just stayed in touch. We were friends, and that's our our relationship was built on friendship, you know. Mm. So so uh, so then I had you know Addison Cresswell tried to sign me up, who again managed you know uh, Jack D and. Uh, well later Michael McIntyre and and Lee Evans and you know he showed an interest and so there was a little bit of you know that going on people knew who I was and 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 a lot of it was down to Bob Mortimer's incredible support you know he just uh, believed in me even when I didn't believe in myself and even when sometimes gigs would go down the pan he'd say well you know sometimes me and Vic you know no one laughs we went to Canada they did the just for laughs Uh, uh, They sang Lucky Carpet, which was one of their songs. They said they died a death. They said, it doesn't matter. You know, we do what we do. And I remember Bob saying, it's better to be, you know, one person's favourite comedian than 100 people's third or fourth favourite. He said, if you're somebody's favourite comedian, then you've made it, you know. And, uh, And he just gave me some quotes for my poster, you know, and things like that. And it was just, it gave me a kind of a little bit of a frisson little bit of authority. And the other person who really was really kind to me, again, when I'd only only been going about a year or less, was Harry Hill. Mm. I was on the bill with him once or twice, and then he said, uh, you know, are you playing all these other clubs? And I said, well, it's hard to get them to return my call, or, you know, they're very, they're bigger clubs than I can play. And he said, well, I'm going to give you, you know, eight phone numbers here, and you call them and you tell them that I gave you the number and I recommend you. And so, again, you know, there was a real... There was, it was, it was, it was, you know, there was a lot of kindness as well. And, I, and,
1: and, and, and I mean, t- talent
0: notwithstanding, a bit of luck as well. I Absolutely. So I mean, I difficulty. always say to anybody, if anybody says, you know, what do you need to make it? I say, well, <clears throat> if I can, you know, some people would say I've made it. Other people would say I wouldn't, but I haven't. But no, if no. I've made it on some level, I would say, you need talent. Mm. Um, you need to work really, really, really hard. And you also need luck. And those are the three things. And two of those three won't be enough, you know. Yes. Talent, uh, hard work and luck. Those three things. Yeah, well, whatever. But like the other night, I was on a plane and um, I'm writing something new at the moment. I'm developing a new TV show. Excellent. And thank you. And, you know, I looked around and and it was flying through the night and every single person was asleep and I wrote the entire journey. And sometimes it's... it's, um, it's about yeah staying in and writing in like, heart, like yeah, when i was writing that book i was also doing doctor who i wrote on christmas day i wrote boxing day. i mean it's fi- like it's fine you know it's mm. it's I, I got the best job in the world so this is, this is not me complaining no, I know, but i'm I know, saying I know. you you have to put the hours in you have to put the hours in and yes. even when you're a big deal you have to put the hours in and so actually that's something as much as anybody i learned that from david who's right. just who's more who's, so than you
1: i mean at the time the, the, the i remember in early interviews the 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 impression
0: given was that he he'd crack the whip a bit with you when you were yeah, collaborating. Yes, I'm sure he together. needed to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Might you know? Because I was doing stand up, so I'd be like, mm, maybe we can just start at like two yeah, in the afternoon, sure. and we can do you know three hours, and then I'll go to a gig. And I was like, you know, because comedians on the circuit, you know, they're slogging around the circuit, right? And they might be doing two gigs a night, and they're rushing around and all that. So they have this kind of adrenaline thing, but actually. The comedians on the circuit that I work with, the, the culture was you know, if you had a set that was 20 minutes and it worked that's your set, that's what you did. People weren't, there was no YouTube, nobody's filming you and putting you up. You you could do
1: it again and again and again and again.
0: You could do it again and again. There was a thing that if you did a few minutes on television, you might need to replace it. But then sometimes you do three minutes on television and then cut them from your set and then people who'd seen the TV show would go, oh, I missed, you should have done that joke. But generally, you would be in the the dressing room at the comedy store, which I played a few times, not many times, because my act was a bit too strange, but I played it a few (laughs) times. And, um... And somebody would walk in and they'd go, um, I'm doing a new joke tonight. And we'd all kind of gather around and go, oh, what's the joke? And then they'd tell you the joke and people would kind of discuss it. And somebody would say, oh, maybe you could change that and do this. And then we'd all listen in to see how the new joke went. And it yes. would be a big deal. Yes. But when I started working with David and I stopped doing the stand-up circuit because I realised it was just too much to do both. And actually, I found it more enriching and fulfilling, the kind of work I was doing with David. Plus, because George had got big, it was hard. It just gigs became just mm. tougher to do because mm. uh, of different expectations from the audience david and i would would start at 10 and we would go till four thirty-five. and actually you know he was quite strict and we'd chat for 10 minutes at the beginning of the day but it's like now we need to get to work and and then but we'd write you know 15 20 minutes a week or more yes. of of usable stuff and then i thought oh my god so this whole thing about adding in a new joke every month this is this is there's a different way of doing this. Yes, You can be much more prolific and much more inventive. They um, are completely quickly. different mediums, aren't they? Really? They
1: are different mediums. I was amazed when I first started going to comedy clubs, probably around about this time, and it was the it was comedy store in Leicester Square. I was amazed when I went back
0: two weeks later and saw the same act doing the same. That's right, yeah. I couldn't actually quite believe it. Yeah, but I will say in fairness, promoters would... Yeah and I'd see I'd see you know because I, I used to go and watch comedy all the time yeah. before I was doing you used it. you to go to Edinburgh on your own, didn't you? You'd go it? to Edinburgh Festival, yeah, and all of that and I'd just go in London and watch gigs all the time and really yes. immerse myself in it. And I'd go oh I've already seen her because I knew that yeah. I knew what I was going to get. But there were some people and I will say Mark Thomas who was oh. like the king of the circuit yeah. and is still one of the greatest for sure. One of the greatest comics we've got um he he was a marvel and you'd see him on a monday and then you'd see him on a thursday new set right and funny yeah and topical Um, and insightful and and just kind of brilliant i wonder if it's because he's so politically engaged he's he's constantly thinking and he was constantly thinking and 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 he had interesting things to say that transcended just jokes but they were still funny ideas they were funny he was he was brilliant and and there were a few people that were a bit more prolific. But it was more just the culture of the circuit. You were I remember playing jonglers and it went down all right. Which jonglers was the big chain. Um and I didn't really enjoy it. So I only did it once and they said, Oh, you should come back. And but actually I just didn't I didn't really enjoy it. It felt very corporate. And mm. I just thought, I think I could do this, but I think the reality is that it's always gonna, you know, I'm always gonna have to to Work really hard in this room. Right. This is never going to be an audience that's what wants to hear what I'm doing. You, you get a lot of staggered, yeah. Nights. And I it. thought, yeah, because there's an interesting thing sometimes you play gigs that were free, right? Um, you'd still get paid, but the gigs were free, like student gigs, universities, they'd be sponsored, somebody would be picking up the cheque, you know, uh, uh, Newcastle Brown Ale or something like that. But actually, what happens is when an audience doesn't pay anything they don't have any investment in the evening. And those gigs are actually quite hard Mm. to do as a comedian because Mm. you'd think, oh, they'll be grateful that they didn't have to pay, but actually they might just sit and talk. And, And similarly, when an audience pays too much, there's a they they might also feel that they don't actually have to listen they've almost paid for the right to do what they want in that room and that often happens for comedians when they're doing christmas parties around this time of year that becomes they they're quite tough gigs also because a lot of alcohol's involved mm. and you charge a lot for christmas parties and it's a kind of um you know yeah uh, the power balance is different yeah from, it's from, different and so and that was one of the things at jonglers which was it was quite a corporate audience it was a lot of kind of office parties and they paid uh, they paid uh, quite a lot of money to go. Yes. And you got paid a bit more money to do the gigs. You know, it was a, it was a great but gig. It was a trade-off. Yeah, but I just thought my kind of act is, I could go there and I could storm, or I could go there and I could die, or I could, I could, or I could change my act mm. and do a different set that's my jongler's set. But I just thought, actually, other people will flourish more in this environment, and, and, I, and, I, and I can gig in other places. Sure. But the thing I remember them saying to me is, uh, don't change your set. It worked. Right. So they just wanted me to just do more gigs Like a with production
1: that. line, like a kind of...
0: Yeah, uh, I'm not being critical of them. I mean, they knew what worked for them. It's and a business they were very, model, though. Yeah, not not it's a business cre- not model. Not a creative
1: look equation.
0: Y- yes and no. Look, I- I'm not singling them out, because ultimately, in, in these venues where you're playing, you're there so that they can sell food and drink. Of I mean, that is why you're there. You so you just can't start getting too full of yourself. No. Uh, let's back up a little bit, because George Dawes, 21 years
1: old, um, you were, and then... The, the the next big thing was Little Britain yeah so that collaboration with David how did that come about how did that how did the friendship segue into collaboration and and the, the, the kind of all the complications of being a double act that that can sometimes <laughs> entail
0: well we we met in the National Youth Theatre and what parts were you playing uh, he well I was doing a course because when you go in, you do a kind the very of very first year. Course, you the first year, course. you do a course. Yes. Do you know? I just
1: I I did, I did, I did Krishna Guru Murthy last week. Were you there at the same time? I don't because I did my Manchester Youth Theatre. Oh, for you? me, was the most seminal summer of my life. It changed everything. And for me, the MIT, like, probably for similar reasons, background being completely challenged. Because I was at an all boys monastic boarding school, and suddenly I'm in the middle of Manchester. Middle of Manchester, we're in a, a hall of residence full of girls. But um, but I, I didn't realize that he'd. He'd done it oddly, I, and. The course is what you do the first time, because I was supposed to go and do the course in London. I wonder if we'd have been in the same How intake. Might have been. And I didn't, because the fellow who ran Manchester Youth Theatre said, if you come to Manchester, I'll give you a cracking part in our play, so don't go to London. So, so what did you do? I went I went to Manchester and got a decent part in the play and went back three, three years running. It was Fame as the Spur, oh, um, right. based on a on a Howard something novel. I played Alderman Hawley Artingstall. Did you have a great but, time? But, but, mate, the time of my life. There and, you and, go. And, and, and because you, you were at a public school, but not a boarding school, is that right? Yeah, that's that's Haberdash's right. ask is just is, is one of the chapters, but the, yeah. for me, to the, the the horizon broadening experience of that kind of thing, which young people today don't have access to in quite the same way, was was absolutely unparalleled. So I understand how you and
0: David could have forged a friendship there that felt definitely, definitely different and special. Yeah, and we we kind of bonded because we both grew up within touching distance of the centre of London, but not quite being. You know, he was in Banstead. It's 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 Metroland, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, and I was at the very top of the Jubilee line, and he'd been to a grammar school. I'd been to Haberdashers, but I was on a free place. Yes. You know, so I'd hear everyone at Habs talking about their skiing trips and their their holidays to Florida and everything, and I never had that. My dad, when I started
1: at private school, my dad paid my fees, but it was a struggle, I now realise. We'd been to Morecambe, our right, right. In, in Lancashire, and all these kids had been to Barbados or Kitsbule. So Dad told me, he said,
0: pronounce it Morricambi. Oh, really? <laughs> to make there you it
1: go. sound really exotic. There you go. So that
0: was it. Where did you go? Morricambi. <laughs> well, my, uh, there, I had the joke. Of I went to Romania. <laughs> oh, really? Well, no, I, I went. I went to remain here. Um, but uh, so uh, you're were,
1: you were an outsider and an insider, you know, or an outsider actually. Both of you felt like outsiders. Who we both just felt a little other.
0: bit. Yeah, I think at his school he'd been sort of singled out because he was considered. I mean, then you would say effeminate it's yes. not a word I use too much Not like effeminate or or he was just you know he was David Williams
1: <laughs> yes, yes, all basically that's an adjective. <laughs> yeah
0: and um and I was just yeah and I didn't I, I had friends I sure. had friends at school but I and I know David had friends at his school um but we were both just searching for something and and I think we both knew that we weren't going to be you know, people from my school became doctors and mm. lawyers, and it, 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 you know, and went to to Oxford or Cambridge often, and that was the the thing. And uh, and I think David knew that that probably wasn't for him either. And we met at the National Youth Theatre, and I kind of idolised him. I mean, he was kind of taller, older, um, funnier, and I'd watch him f- from the wings. We the next year we did, did a play together. It? No, not at all. Just no, check, just I checking. never. No, I just never did. I never did uh no which is probably good right of course if i had fancied him it might have been a bit icky and weird Mm. and but no there was never i think people used to think we were a couple yes but there was never i never felt that towards him i admired him i respected him i thought he was brilliant i kind of did everything other than fancy him um uh, so the friendship stayed in place while you were off pursuing the stand-up,
1: which led into shooting stuff. Yeah, and he was him?
0: doing children's television. He was writing for Anton Deck or PJ and Duncan I as didn't they know were that. then. Yeah, and he um, was doing kids TV um, and stuff like that. And and but we were just friends, and and we would just see a lot of each other. We go to the cinema and the theatre, and also he had a girlfriend, but there was something queer about him, you know. And I used that in a slightly more in in the contemporary use of that word, not the, not the derogatory use yes. of that word, you know, in a kind of a kind of a shameless, unapologetic otherness about him. Mm. And he would wear men's skirts and he would uh, paint his fingernails black and he'd put a hair clip in his hair and I'd go out with him and his girlfriend. And so and people would and he'd sit on the tube and I'd uh uh people wouldn't know what to think right. and when we first did that my heart would sink like what are you what do you look like but then actually after a <laughs> while I thought this is glorious yeah. you know I've got this funny friend and he doesn't care what people think and so there was that, a, that'd big influence. a big that be a
1: particularly big deal to you yeah well
0: he liberated me he liberated me you know uh, and and uh, we didn't talk a great deal about my uh, being gay um, but he would just like introduce me to his friends and go, this is Matt. He's gay <laughs> like that to kind of, and it was just funny. Like I was just like shocked at first. And then I was just like, um, you know, then it was just a funny thing to do. And I remember when I finally came out to my mother in my mid twenties, um, I called David up afterwards to say, i oh, just so you know, this kind of big thing, you know, we were just working every day by then mm. this, this kind of big thing just happened, which is I actually just told my mum. I'm gay and uh, and he said how did it go and I said you know and I explained as I talk about in the book Mm. that my mum was very upset and shocked and and, uh, she was not expecting to hear this and you know and now she's fine about it but it just took her time and it had taken my brother time and I was just telling him we had this great chat for about an hour and then you know and I thanked him for his support and everything and then there was a beat and then the phone rang and I picked it up. I went hello, and he goes, "You never told me you were gay." <laughs> <laughs> I just put the phone down and laughed. You know, so he was just brilliant at, at that.
1: You and know. you knew there was a, there was a chemistry here that was oh, a bit yeah, special, yeah, yeah, like yeah, like the yeah, best yeah. kind of friendships. But obviously, yeah, this-
0: there, it was heady. You know, it was like there was there was. It was daring when we were on stage together. It was just so like, we jump, we're jumping ahead a bit. Yeah, yeah we're
1: still not sure at what point did, did one of you say why don't we see what we can do together? So
0: so i had been doing the circuit for a while and in 1995 when I was 21 I'd filmed shoot no 1994 actually before mm. shooting stars and before I'd worked with Vic and Bob uh, Actually, but I'd already met them, but I hadn't worked with them yet Uh, I went to the Edinburgh Festival with a friend of mine called Dorian Crook, who's the guy that was comparing the gig when Bob Mortimer came because Dorian Crook was at art school with Vic or Jim, as he's called. And he was part of the Vic Reeves Big Night Out gang and he would be in Vic Reeves Big Night Out and he toured with them um, in the stage show. And Dorian uh, and I became friends and we're still still good friends. And he uh, was going to Edinburgh to do a show and it's, you get like an hour or 55 minutes at the Edinburgh Festival and he said look we could do why don't I do like 40 minutes and you could come on in the middle and do 10 or 15 and I went great um, and uh, David came up to see the show and we were in the Pleasance Bar and it was almost like we had the same thought at the same moment we turned and said we should should we do a show next year? Do you want to come up here next year and do something? It was like yeah great you know, and I can't even remember which one of us asked the other because it, we nice. both had the same thought. And then we did a show the next year, and it was a really raucous, crazy show that was on at midnight uh, in a small room at the assembly rooms and we advertised free crash on the poster because it made us laugh and actually a woman did come with a baby <laughs> we felt really bad Selbst about right. it and the fir- after like three nights not many people were coming along and I'd heard this trick that this other comic Boothby Graffo had done which I nicked which is I basically put a sign on the door saying sold out right. even though we weren't on that night and I did it for a couple of nights I put a sign up saying sold out even though we weren't and then we sold out for pretty much the rest of the run. That's funny. Um, but we also sold what out. What was that
1: act like? What were you doing on
0: stage? It was... It, you. You. I don't even think you could do it today. It was... I played Sir Bernard, this actor, mm. and it was his show, and he was going to talk about his career, and David played this stage manager who had escaped from prison called Tony Rogers, who would terrorize, we would terrorize the audience. We would scream at them, shout at them, move them around, make them swap seats. And we just created, what we did was, we created our environment so when you walked into that room you were in our room we okay. were not in your room you were in would, our room would
1: it be silly to ask who your influences were because uh, vic and bob right so vic and bob definitely were huge of jim surrealism and
0: yeah but we were we were less surreal than vic and bob right. i think we were we uh, there was an uh, more anger and more aggression in what we were doing but we it was your more, world but it was our world and it was something that i'd really noticed from from vic you know jim was was the idea that you had to go to the goldsmith's tavern or the Alb- albany empire when they were on their way up you had to go and see them right. they just didn't do right. the circuit yeah. and i was still doing the circuit at that time but generally it was like no you have to come to us a destination yeah and i think we also used to do this thing which was that we'd often play these you know we were doing warm-ups in, in different theaters before edinburgh and we'd play these slightly sort of drab not drab no humble humble venues all right let's be honest and <laughs> and you'd arrive and and you'd often you know you'd have a giant bit of set from something else or there'd be a little bit of rubbish and you'd have to clear it up yourself and i and me and david were like well why don't we keep the rubbish so we used to keep whatever rubbish was in the venue and then we'd add to it so when you walked into the theatre for our show you would find cigarette butts on your seat <laughs> and flyers on the floor or even a little bit on the stage in the corner mm. it looked a bit neglected like someone hadn't quite cleared it up and if we had tapes playing there was the needle you'd hear the needle jump on the tape a little bit it was just a sense of neglect yes of just sort of like oh nobody's really bothered with these people and we just really we just kind of enjoyed creating that environment and we were mad we yeah. it was mad the shows were really anarchic they were loud they were aggressive because we were in this little room where the show started at midnight So the room was really hot because of all the other shows yes. that had been there that day and it was the summer and people had already seen four or five or six shows of that day. They were already drunk. And and it was a small room with a hundred seats and the the seats were on three sides. And if you needed to go to the toilet during the show, you had to walk across the stage to get to the toilet. And um And people needed to. Yeah. And we would, yeah. the yeah. the would terrorise them. <laughs> and we would we would sometimes stand and go, No, you can't you can go into that cup and we do like we were just we were mad. It was crazy. Um You've, you've been at your
1: most animated talking about that it may just be that yeah you've, maybe that you've settled into the environment yeah as well as just we remembering it just
0: remembering it and enjoying it and and there's a sense of freedom which i like like i said i said yeah. at the beginning of the interview you, did. you don't have you don't have that once you're at a certain level mm. you don't have those freedoms anymore because everything you do is scrutinized everything you do is scrutinized if i go to the theatre, somebody's or cinema people are secretly sure. filming you and you realize that if you say one thing that could be you know is negative that it's up on youtube it's on yeah. it's on the, the 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 website so this so is a, this was a period of absolute it was just a different time liberty. it was a period of of yeah of And of, did you know yeah. you were good
1: don't be mo- don't be unduly modest did you uh, know did you know you were st- Onto something, both as a
0: double act and as a. We knew we were good at what we were doing, right? So I don't think we thought, "Oh, yeah, we're we're the topical comedians." I don't think we thought we could do all these other things, but yeah, we had a confidence and an assurance. Um, both
1: still very young to have that. level Yeah, of, I was twenty-one. Because Vic he was and Bob 24. were much older when they
0: broke through, weren't they? He, yeah. He'd already been a solicitor for a while. Bob, I think. Yeah, Bob, yeah. He was going to become a barrister. That's he was right. close. He was yeah. very close to it. Um, uh i was 21 and david was 24 yeah yeah, yeah but i but i you just um, know when you know you know look it was also i think we both also felt you know we felt entitled to be good at it because we didn't feel that we were good at anything else no oh. You know, no. so it was like no this is what we do yeah. but also the truth is that people would come and they'd laugh uproariously and they would come again and come again and come again Which is amazing. so if you think you're good when that happens you're not completely deluding yourself no clearly you know not. and I, sometimes i'd read reviews of us or of other acts and the reviewer would slate slate the show and i'd think well you know you didn't enjoy it but I, but did the audience laugh and mm-hmm. i'd read reviews of of our shows and and sometimes they were good and sometimes they were bad because pardon me what we did was very polarizing um and you could definitely take exception to it sure um or just not get it or not get it or not enjoy it Mm. like like that's a completely viable response and we understood that but it what the only thing that used to bug me is if if they wrote review slamming the show and didn't acknowledge the fact that it was sold out and that the audience laughed their heads off and some reviewers did accept didn't acknowledge that and some didn't and that used to i always thought well you you should say that you know you should say that um uh, full disclosure yeah I think so
1: but um, so that from there then you, you realised su- the show was a, was a success a big success and the next step is to start creating more characters because there's only so far that you and the stage manager could go
0: um, is that right or not? yeah well no actually what happened was that we off the back of that first Edinburgh show we got offered a TV series mm. by Paramount Channel which is now Comedy Central yes um, what was that like at 21 because I mean it, yeah it, well I and, I, and, and I'd and I'd already shot Shooting Stars before we'd done that show, but it hadn't been out yet. And I was supporting Blur on tour, and I was doing the Country House video. It was amazing. Uh, I was still living at home, yes. you know, out in Stanmore. I didn't, you know... How, how did you keep your sexuality secret from your mum during well, that period of your life? If, if that's the correct way to phrase it. Yeah. Uh, well, well, it, it, it would be secret if I was off dating people and going to clubs, but I wasn't doing either of those things. So I wasn't I wasn't having experiences at right. that age. So it's easier to keep it secret when you're not. So you're um, celibate, effectively. Yeah. But uh, also gay. I'd had experiences uh, I- I- in my teens, mm. which I write about in the book. You do. But from my late teens until my mid-twenties, I didn't really... And it wasn't just a gay thing. I think I just didn't really have any concept of myself as somebody that people would be attracted to i thought well objectively you are short pale overweight you have no hair so nobody's going to be interested in you uh, so you just have to just accept that and, and 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 achieve other things you know and i just that's how i thought and it wasn't until later on when i kind of went to counseling that somebody said i think you see yourself very differently to how some other people would see you and of course now young people would have the internet and on the internet not only will uh, young gay people able to talk to each other or through apps or everything but you can also see that oh there are kind of tribes and there's yes there's like twinks and (laughs) muscly guys and bears (laughs) something for everyone yeah exactly but i didn't really have a concept that i thought that everything i had that was that wasn't uh you know quotes ideal was was a negative right, whereas now weirdly, I get more attention from guys when i 'm in a larger when i 'm larger than yeah. when I lose weight yeah so so i'm like ah oh, okay that's weird yes. i mean that, that's not an incentive to eat more because I just think <laughs> i I should just be more healthy anyway but i'm just so it's, it's interesting that that uh that there's someone for everyone. You know? yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have any real concept of that. And I was just doing stand-up and just throwing myself into my work. And then in my mid-twenties, I just reached this point where life had just changed. My, my father had died very suddenly when I was 22, and I loved him very much. And he just- He
1: was your hero, you say? Yeah, yeah,
0: and he just died. uh uh, had a heart attack massive heart attack and died out of nowhere and uh, how old was he been ill he'd been ill for a couple of weeks for for a couple of months but we did not expect this uh he was 52 very very young yeah and and then i was dealing with fame at that same time and i was dealing with sexuality fame and bereavement those three things so i went to a see a therapist and then he kind of we talked about all of these things and he's like maybe you should you know you could tell your your mum you don't have to tell your mum but you could and and i thought i need to tell my mum before i start going to clubs because i knew that he, that word would get back yes just because i knew that word would so i so i told my brother and then i told my mother and it took them time to come to terms with it but they did yes of course you know and and it was different then you know there was a sense when I came out in in 1999 if you were telling someone you were gay it was because maybe you were HIV positive and you needed to tell them that was the the kind of and if you were HIV positive then it was a death sentence yeah so but I wasn't and I'm not uh, and but but it was like it was almost like people didn't really understand that being gay was sort of, I think, an identity rather than just a behaviour. Mm. And Not everybody agrees with me on no. that, which is fair enough. But I think, uh, you know, there's the a difference between ho- being homosexual and being gay. Yes, I I do think there's a difference. That's what you meant when you called David queer. Yeah, is queer is, is like kind of an identity, yes. you know, um, of kind of treading the line yes. and testing people and being provocative. And being maybe indistinct in terms of what his sexuality was to people let people guess let people not be sure give a sense of one thing maybe be another thing not commit explore all of those things Mm. that that, you know that would sum up who he was where he was at that time in his life you know whatever he was whatever whatever he was looking for so what was the 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 Paramount Channel show so the Paramount Channel show was called uh, mash and peas we were we were a double act called mash and peas and the concept was that um, it actually came from a line that David improvised. We were a bad double act, and he improvised this line, which was: we "We're doing a thing about we were scolding the the viewers for writing letters of complaint about us. Can, can you not? Can you not write letters of complaint, please? Like that, because it's like it's you don't know what you're talking about. Number one, uh, we were like these entitled middle class comedians who would just get really shirty with the viewers. Can you not? Can you not do that, please? Because like." and uh and then david just to improvises this line at the end he goes yeah and stop writing in because my dad owns this channel and this is my friend like that and then we just thought i just thought yeah that's brilliant that's why we're on because we're the children of the owner of the channel that's a great idea that's why we're being indulged you're so more the about idea, making each other laugh a yeah lot of course of, time, of course it? and so the idea was that uh, um the idea that was yeah that we were kind of shit but you were stuck with us and we just kind of enjoyed that, you know, and uh, and a bit like we were different characters to Sir Bernard sure. and Tony that he'd played. But again, it was just the idea that you. were, I'm sorry, you're stuck. You're not. You, you're not seeing the best people. That just just used to, which is a little bit victory 's big night out, yes. isn't it? The kind yes, of ramshackle nature mm. of it, mm. um, and it is
1: genuinely ramshackle because sometimes the the, the the chaos on a stage is actually painstakingly plotted and mm. choreographed. But but you. And David and and Vic and Bob aren't. There, there is, I mean, obviously there's a there's a strong foundation. You both know exactly what you're doing, but
0: there is a anything could happen next type feel to both. That was the, that was the vibe. And although by the time we did Little Britain, we actually wanted everything to look as good as it possibly could look. Yes, and to be as and that. But I still think subverting the genre while trying yeah. to be
1: as true to the genre as possible. So the slicker and the neater it looked. Perhaps the
0: more effective the subversion become. Well, you still had Tom Baker saying something crazy, you know, to kind of undermine you. And yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But also, I think the League of Gentlemen were a big influence on us. And the Fast Show had shown us, you know, that sketch shows could have a concept. Because I'd been very resistant to the idea of doing a sketch show. Because I just thought, I don't want to do the Matt and Dave show. I you see. Know, like yeah, which is why the characters were so out there then, because it, it wasn't a sketch show in any conventional sense. No, and I think but I think also the League of Gentlemen was directed by Steve Benderlack who did the first series of Little Britain yes. and he brought a kind of cinematic yes. uh, quality to it and a uh, real sense of style and panache. And it changed your life? A Little Britain changed our lives, yeah. Yeah. And I like to think the lives of
1: people, <laughs> <who watched it. laughs> Many people at home. Um, to start with
0: entirely in a good way. Well, I mean, it was just bizarre, you know, because it's just it's it. We just thought we it's amazing. We've been working together eight years, and we finally have a show on proper telly because we'd had uh, the Paramount mm. show, and we'd also had this series called Rock Profile, and oh, we've been yeah. getting this kind of cult following, and people still remembered me from Shooting Stars. So we were just kind of on that level, and I thought I oh, will get a series that will be on BBC Two, and maybe we'll get a second series, and that'll be our show and then we'll go and do something else or we'll do something maybe not together and mm. we'll do because we didn't only work together we were just like well, we're doing we did stuff together but we also did stuff apart he was doing this show called attachments this kind of drama like mm. a kind of uh, an attempt to recreate this life type show on bbc2 and so he you know he had a bit of a reputation as an actor you know i was still could do a bit of stand-up and and, um, Did it go mad straight away? Was it no, 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 but quickly. Yeah, I remember it was still on BBC Three, which not everyone knew they <clears> could get or they couldn't all get it, or people weren't in the habit of watching it. And like Richard Littlejohn started referring to it in his column, uh, Vicky Pollard, and then uh, and then I think it was in the Sun or the Mail. They did a cartoon of Tony Blair, I think, going, no, but yeah, but no, but yeah, but or something like that. And, and and I think the first series was still on. And then really the moment where we knew it had gone insane was when the first episode premiered on BBC Three and got 1.8 million viewers, which was more than what BBC Two got that mm. night. And nothing on BBC Three had ever I think I think maybe the BBC Three had shown EastEnders before it was on. But that was BBC only, One. Yes. But I don't think it was on the, the launch. But not, no. It was like, it was many 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 times more viewers than most shows would get on that channel. And then, and then I was really, like then I think we knew. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. But, but good. I mean, excited. Yeah, I mean, amazing, amazing. To yeah. bring it so, was kind of always good. I don't, I don't. I mean, there were always there was some strange moments in it and. You know, and like I say, suddenly you come under the scrutiny of the press. Well, that's all I'm press. referring to. I'm not yeah, suggesting... Yeah, but I mean, the, no, no. that did not ruin the experience of No, of course, I, I I I'm not I, suggesting I'm not, it did, like, but the fame, I don't have this agenda against the press. I know you don't. I know you I, don't. I know you I, don't. I, uh, uh you know, there's loads of brilliant journalism. I read the papers. I, I don't... I'm not, I'm not down on the press. I'm just... I just
1: Some ha- habits and tactics well, just, that they employ are a bit rank. And that's, I mean, I, I agree. and I, I, I used to do it for a living. Yeah. Um, but not all of them. No, I don't, absolutely you know, not. Not, no, no, not, I know, not, I not all of them. Absolutely. You know. I get yeah, that. I yeah. really do. Um, so that was hugely successful. You've spoken, you've written about why some elements of it you probably wouldn't do again now. Oh. Some of the gender stuff, some of the... Yeah, I just
0: think we're in a very different time. And, uh, you know, we. you know, sometimes some people, some younger viewers uh sometimes contact me on Twitter and things like that and say, you know, you need to apologize or you need to explain oh, really? what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a thing that happens. And and you know, I do I'm happy to engage with people who feel like that. So even Daffid, I mean that that Yeah, and I think the thing is, you know, that show you wouldn't make that show now no. in that way. And I, I wouldn't. Uh uh you know, you'd have to ask David and get his his opinion on it. Um he I can't tell you whether he does or doesn't feel no. the same way. But I I, I, I wouldn't do what we did then but uh, in the same way but the show wasn't made in a vacuum uh uh the, it was made at the bbc which is a we all know is has traditionally less so now but has traditionally been more left wing mm. um just by the very ethos of it being publicly funded a uh, state funded um and at the time the bbc did not have an issue with a rubbish transvestite the BBC did not have an issue at the time with us playing other races they did not have an issue at the time with Marjorie Dawes making jokes about overweight people they mm. did not have an issue at the time with all of these contentious things very occasionally it never felt like bullying though it never felt well I don't think it did no. some people okay. would, would see it other other ways but um, but right now if you were doing a sketch show it would not feel appropriate to make light of uh, no. a Transgender character um, in my mind uh, uh, The rubbish transvestite was a transvestite and not somebody who was sure. uh, Identifying as a, as a woman or undergoing surgery or or You know, but I still acknowledge that it comes you know, it's under the same umbrella yes. of of Questioning I guess mm. and or or, or or feeling other to how you may biologically be and um, and, you know, again, I'd love to do Marjorie Dawes again. I think about it. I've got some ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm split over whether it would be too contentious to do it right now or whether you could do it, do it differently or whether you could do the same. I don't know. Um, playing other races uh, is not something I'd propose at this time. You know the con- the, the concept of Little Britain was that we played everyone, yes, so you know forgive me if you've heard me say this before, but kind of tall, short, fat, thin, you know yes. black, white, straight, gay, male, female so so we ne- we never felt like isn't it funny that I'm playing a woman, you know Marjorie Dawes. Uh, the Fat Fighters Lady. I don't think Marjorie Dawes is funnier because a man is playing her. Mm. I don't think there's any comedy in that. I think if, if Dawn French was playing her, it would probably be a funnier character, but it just happens to be me because it's in Little Britain because we wrote it. Mm. So I don't think I, you know, and it's the same when I see The League of Gentlemen, you know, I don't think it's funnier because men are playing it. It's, they're just really talented performers and, and they do great jobs. Um, and similarly, I don't think when I see Come Fly With Me and I'm playing Taj, you know, uh, uh, who's the the you know uh, um, of Pakistani origin, but he's the uh, you know he works in the in the airport. I don't believe that there's any significant, any extra, you know, a uh, uh, comedy no, coming see. from the fact that it's a Caucasian performer playing an Indian role. I don't see that. Yes. You know, that's not our intention. I can I'm, I'll say that. Same with Precious, but at the same time there are other issues that come into play where aside from aside from whether you argue one way or the other about about the the rights and wrongs and offense of one person from one race playing a character from another race I think there is a greater appreciation of the fact and there was some appreciation at the time but a much greater appreciation of the fact that uh this is a job that you are denying yes. a person of colour. Which probably doesn't apply to Little Britain, but does apply well, to so much of the rest of the it industry does. that a, you, you fall into that. Yeah, and interestingly, like, the, the situation with Jeffrey Tambor at the moment yes. is is that uh you know he has left um that show transparent for and like I don't know, I wasn't there, but what appears to be inappropriate behaviour. But there is also a sense that even in the four or five years since that show began, mm. the idea of casting a non-trans performer in that role feels antiquated yeah, now yeah. to how it felt then. So it's progress. Yeah, so, so I think it's general progress. So when people say to me, oh, you can't do Luke Britton now, it must really <laughs> annoy you. It actually doesn't, because I think, it, I think the changes that are happening for the right reasons, I think we are currently in the middle of a big time of change. Yes. And I think things will settle, and I think people at the moment some people look at little britain and 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 sort of damn it but i think people may have a more have a different view of it again in years to come when they accept that it's something of its time yes and and, in not not every single person of one race who played a person of another race during that period had malevolent intent you know and i know i know that we didn't have ill intent i mean even if you even if you don't like it i know that you know, even if you felt offended by it, I know that there was no intention to give offense, only to provide entertainment actually, so that's why I, that's how i'm how I can live with it. but at this time, it would be because even if even if I personally am not offended by one person playing a different race, right if I saw a black performer playing another race, mm. even whether I am or not offended personally, i'm aware of the offense it gives yes. and I'm aware of the noise it makes as well. And what I don't massively want to be is a kind of poster boy for... I mean, you want to be on the right side of history. And I don't (laughs) want to be a poster boy for, you know, for, for... nothing nefarious that, yeah, yeah you know it's not we only want to entertain Yeah, and and that's reflected in i think well, the work it, we've done we're, we're going to run
1: out of time but sorry
0: no it's, it's it's brilliant i could listen to you all there i
1: really could actually and that's probably the best recommendation Ooh. i can make for people thank you to and buy likewise, the book. Buy i little feel bad me. because
0: last time we met we it, it, it we spoke more you spoke more and now you know, i'm just, just rabbiting strange. away
1: we'll do it the other way around next year yeah um when it ended when little britain ended it, yeah. it occurs to me that must have been a bit like coming up from deep sea diving and suddenly
0: well we went on to uh, we did it in America we did it on tour so actually we I like w- it went we on for a long time we but were ready end, for the we, we were ready for the end Where of you? it were you yeah you'd, we were ready for the end of it and far we, as far we, as you could we, yeah definitely and actually we were in talks with the BBC about doing more um, but Jay Hunt who was then in charge of the BBC said look why don't you do something else you know mm. and she was right you know and uh, so we did Come Fly With Me yeah. and that was really good and as I write in the book you know things happened in my life that changed yes. you know my situation and so uh we just did one series the yeah. bbc wanted a second series we didn't do one um and then I and I moved to a different country to begin a new life. Yes, uh, and David kind of began a new career as well, didn't he? Yeah, and actually, is and the... more successful than the two of us ever were. I think as well, a writer, I don't know about that. but he's huge and he deserves it. He works hard. I'm I think not, his I'm books not, are fantastic. No, I'm not going to try. No, and twist but I'm your... still going to. Yeah. I'm still going to pay tribute because right. because You're why not I? I'm pleased for him. Proud of him. Uh, You know, I know, like I say, I remember him writing on the plane on the way back, writing the first book, you know. Uh, I am currently in the midst of creating a new TV series that I'm really excited about. Really excited about. It's not like anything else I've ever written. Um, And uh, I'm talking to a broadcaster about it, and I'm talking to a very notable collaborator um a very celebrated you're so coy somebody who i would well no contracts have been signed <laughs> no, it's enough. not been green lit um but uh if all goes well fingers crossed Everything. you'll hear about it soon brilliant and um you're still ambitious man uh yes my main ambition is to write a stage musical is that's really? what i want to do more than anything including the the story the, the book the music and the lyrics i love writing music and actually if you buy this book, there's a song in the middle of the book. This is true. Which you can you can go to middleofthebook.com and hear the song, whether you buy the book or not. <laughs> the sheet music's in there. Or if you buy the audiobook, it just plays the song. Um I love yeah, I want to do some some music, yeah. Sorry about that. No, I think it's lovely. There's nothing worse than when a comedian says brings out a guitar. He's <laughs> like, oh no. I'm sorry. Alexander Armstrong's onto to his second album now. He's got a great voice though, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. I used to hear him. When we did when we did um, Uh, those shows in Edinburgh he was in that double act with Ben Miller of course and I'd go and um, they did these they played these two old kind of American kind of kind of like a Bing Crosby Bob Hope kind of guys wise cracking double act and they did a song called Fuck Knows What I Do Without You and they would sing it and it was great and you could hear that you could hear even then he, he had the, he had oh the yeah, yeah yeah he had a proper set of lungs on him and jason manford is the other person is with a really? cracking
1: you haven't you haven't checked out nick Knowles' new album then it not yet the DIY, how y- is he i don't know i just noticed it was out there for the christmas market good
0: good you know it's it's a very it's it's not a british thing to go i know i did that but now i'm doing this yeah you're right good luck to anyone who does it you know in america they're much more like
1: they've got a phrase for it haven't they
0: when they talk about staying
1: in your lane no we say pigeonholing but
0: they say i'm not going to stay in my lane Yeah. Why should I stay in my lane? Why not do something different? Exactly. You look at the great entrepreneurs, people who come through hip hop. And yeah. then have their clothing labels or their smart water or everything. And I say good luck to people. Like, like, why not? You know, explore, explore other things. i oh, look so, forward to it. Thank we you very, very much. Can't wait for that. I'm not bringing out water. Don't worry. There's already water. There's some in that glass. You don't need me. You've got water. You don't need Matthew water.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't ever rule any. Never no. say never. I might bring out some cake. <laughs>
0: Branded cake. Yes, yeah.
1: that's been lovely. Thanks thank you very so much. much. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. And I'm joined now by Evan, who is the head hon show here at Joe, to cast a, a, a sort of brief eye in the rearview mirror about that interview with Matt Lucas. He's, I don't know about you, because I'd, I'd met him before. He's. He, he, much more thoughtful and sensitive than you might have imagined just from watching his comedy performances. Yeah, it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, from your perspective, you've met him before. Yeah. Him as an interviewee versus him as the person you met before, was there much of a difference? He alluded to it actually, because there were moments where I wondered whether I had to tell him to stop talking, which is the opposite of of, of how an interviewer normally feels. Normally the fear is that there'll be too much. Air, be, but, but too much um, silence. Whereas with, with him, he, he was so forthcoming. That mm. There were a couple of moments where I sort of thought, I wanted to say, well, look, stop talking. Otherwise, I'm not going to have time to ask you about this and this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when I have met him outside of this environment, he's very, very interested in other people as well, which yeah. I think to do the kind of work he's done, you'd you'd have to be. Yeah. But he, I, I thought he was policing himself at the beginning. He was worried about... The, yeah. I mean, I wondered that. He was talking so much about... The treatment at mm. or his treatment at the press, which isn't—I didn't necessarily from the outside—that he'd got that as as much of a hard time as he's, he's, he, he's had a pretty shitty time. Yeah. He didn't mention that the, the the mail again, and I felt we probably overdosed <laughs> on the mail. But the mail got 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 his late partner's name wrong last time they wrote mm. about him, Kevin. They—I can't remember what they called him, but it wasn't Kevin. And mm. they, they, stuff like that is is just. It's going to stick with you. No one's skin is so thick that that kind of thing just bounces off you. But yeah. he's a lovely, he's a really nice He's great, man. yeah. Um, can't wait to find out what this new show is. I know, yeah. And, and the mystery is. collaborator. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. have to get him back. Should we go for David Walliams then? <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, that was he was great on him too, wasn't he? Ever do yeah, do that. Cool. Get him on the list. Yeah.
0: This is Unfiltered with James O'Brien, exclusively on Joe. Brought to you by the London Block Exchange, the official home of cryptocurrencies.